We're going to transition now into our scripture passage for today. And so if you want to pull out your, uh, your Bible, if you have one with you, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to kind of recap a little bit of what we talked about last week. This is Jesus speaking, Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here at Thomas, we've been working on a series called The Upside Down Kingdom, where we are looking at the kingdom of God that Jesus calls us to that looks very different than the culture and society that we live in, in what you might call the earthly kingdom, the kingdom of this world, the culture that we live in today. And so we've been looking at how different the culture and the lifestyle that Jesus calls us to is from the value system of our world. Last week we talked about hypocrisy. And we used some of these examples that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6. Looking at how, as Christ followers, we need to be authentic, we need to speak sincerely, and we need to live transparently. How that needs to start here in the church. If we can take the masks off that we show to one another, we can begin to live authentic lives. And when we begin to live authentic lives, we can truly experience the kingdom of God. Today we're going to look at two of the examples of this hypocrisy that Jesus talks about, prayer and fasting. And we're going to be looking at kind of some nuts and bolts of how do we pray? How do we fast? What are these things? So today's message is going to be very different than some other messages that you may have, have heard here at Chalmers. Uh, this is going to be much more focused really on the application and the implications of our lives. How do we do these things? If Jesus tells us how not to, how do we pray? How do we fast? So as we begin here, let's pray one more time. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds and ears to hear you, that you would loosen my tongue, 
that you would allow for no distractions, but that your Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts and our minds. We just want to be focused on your word. In Christ's name, amen. So, let's start with fasting. What is fasting? Well, fasting is, as one definition says, the intentional abstaining from eating food for a period of time for spiritual purposes. It's the intentional abstaining from eating food for a period of time for spiritual purposes. In fact, many of you ate a meal this morning that we call break fast. Because it is the first meal that you eat, some of us, after the period of sleep where you didn't eat. And so it was the breaking of that fast. But a fast is intentionally abstaining from food for a period of time in order for, for spiritual purposes. Now, in the Old Testament, there were lots of different fasting that was happening. You could abstain from all food for a period of time, or you could abstain from specific types of food, like rich foods, like meats and dairies. And we see that as an instance in the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel abstained from the meat and the the rich foods that their captives were giving them, had instead a type of vegetable diet, and God blessed them for that. What is not fasting? What is fasting not? Fasting is not a spiritual form of a diet. The purpose of fasting is not to lose weight, but rather to reinforce your dependence on God as your provider and your sustainer. So, I guess the next question we have to ask is, is fasting for today? Like, is fasting something that we should be doing? Or is it something that was done in the Old Testament, but has no implication for our lives today? In the Old Testament, there was actually only one fast that was commanded. The only time that fasting was required was during the Day of Atonement. This day that there would be sacrifices to uh, atone for the sins of the Israelite community. And we see that in Leviticus. There were, however, many voluntary fasts in the Old Testament. And people would fast for various reasons, voluntarily, and different periods of time. We're going to look at some of those. And we're going to look at the voluntary ones because the Day of Atonement was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins once and for all. We don't need to sacrifice animals or anything like that. And so the fast of the Day of Atonement is no longer applicable to us as Christians. However, we need to look at whether the voluntary fasts are still something that we should be doing. There are a few reasons why people would fast in the Old Testament, and we'll look at those right now. The first one was for past sins. For past sins, to receive forgiveness and mercy. And so we see examples of this in the story of Jonah. Jonah, the guy who gets swallowed by the fish. Jonah is called to go and warn the Ninevites, who he hates, that God is going to destroy them. That's why Jonah runs from God, because he doesn't want to warn these people, because he knows that if he warns them, they will repent, they will turn away from their sins, and God will forgive them. 
And so Jonah runs away. Finally, once he gets swallowed by the fish and like vomited out, he finally goes to the Ninevites, and exactly what he was afraid of happens. He warns the Ninevites, and this is what the Ninevites do. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to all of Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flock, taste anything, and do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Can you imagine like having to like cover all your chickens in sackcloth to make sure that they're like regretful of their sins as well? This is like serious, serious sin atonement here. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And so one of the reasons why people fasted was in repentance, in this turning away from their sins, in recognizing that they had failed to follow God and that they needed to turn back to him. And so fasting became this way of people saying, I need to turn away from my previous life and I need to show that in how I look at food for a little while. Joel, one of the prophets, said in his book, Joel um, chapter 2, says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Rend your hearts, not your garments. This is an image. Instead of putting on the sackcloth and making yourself outwardly look like you're miserable, make sure that your heart is in the right place. Rend your heart. Recognize that when you realize that your sin is separating you from God, That is a big issue. That is a heart issue, and that needs to change. And so people would fast when they recognized that they weren't following God and that they needed to turn away from their wrongdoing and turn toward God. And that was just an outward way of them doing that. So from past sins is one reason why people would fast. Another reason is for future mercies or for future guidance. We see this in the book of Second Chronicles. Jehoshaphat is one of the kings, and he, he sees that the armies of Moab and Ammon are advancing towards him. And so instead of calling all of his advisors, he calls people to a fast so that he can seek the Lord in figuring out how are we going to defeat this army? Have we sinned? And we need to repent so that God won't destroy us by this army. We need to seek God's wisdom and guidance. We need to ask God to bless us in that. Second Chronicles 20 says this. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. 
We see this in the book of Esther, where Queen Esther, a Jewish woman who was bought or taken by a king to become his wife because of her beauty, when she discovered that there was a plot against her people, against the Jewish people, and she and her people were going to be destroyed, she needed to go before the king and plead for her people. The problem was, though, that anybody, even the queen, was not allowed to go in front of the king unsummoned. And the king hadn't summoned Queen Esther for a long time. And if you did go before the queen and you weren't invited, you could be killed. And so Queen Esther, knowing that she had to take her life in her own hand and she had to petition for her people, didn't just do so without any thought. She went to her people and said, we need to fast first and we need to pray and we need to ask God to be with us when we do that. Queen Esther says, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. One more example here, Ezra. Ezra was a priestly leader with the Israelites as they were heading back from Babylon, back into Israel. And he knew that this was going to be hard. He knew that there were people who still hated hated the Jewish people. And he needed God to go with him. And so again, in Ezra, it says this, There by the Havana Canal I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. Again, as as we read these things, I want you to recognize something. The overarching reason for fasting is because we can't do it ourselves. We are powerful people. We are strong people. We are mighty people. We are smart people. But we can't do it ourselves. We are utterly and totally dependent on God. And when we fast, we remind ourselves that we are actually much weaker than we think sometimes, and that we need God in our lives. There's one more reason, kind of in the Bible, that that people would fast. There may be others as well, but here are the three that we're going to talk about today. Deliberately sharing with those in need. Deliberately sharing with those in need. We can fast by deliberately doing without food or the cost of food to care for those in need. One of the best images of this is in the book of Isaiah 58. And it says this. Isaiah 58 verses 1 to 9. This is God speaking. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? In other words, they've been doing all the outward signs right. They've been looking like they're fasting. They've been, they've been going without food. But they're missing something. They're missing an integral part 
And yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today, and then expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Friends, especially if if you are kind of coming from the same background that I am, that evangelical background, we may look at fasting and we may say, okay, this is a great spiritual exercise. This is something just between me and God. In Scripture, we also hear that God has a huge heart for those who are poor and oppressed and need justice. And if we just do our nice little spiritual exercises without acknowledging the needs around us. It seems to me, I don't know about you, but it seems to me like we're totally missing the point. Like we're totally missing the heart of God. Practically speaking, I know people, I've done it myself, uh, an example of, of sharing with someone else would be when I went to school in Toronto, And between the GO station at Union Station and the college I was at, I was walking up one of the main streets every single day, and I would pass 20 people begging for money. Often, I wouldn't give anything. The times that I was thinking about God's justice, however, if I had a sack lunch with me, I would sometimes look through it and say, okay, well, what can I give to these people. Can I give an apple? Can I give my sandwich? Can I give, you know, nothing that, that you had to heat up because they don't have a microwave. But, like, can I, can I give my lunch? And then, well, what happens when I give my lunch? When I give my lunch, I go hungry, right? But I know that I'm going to have dinner afterwards. Now, on the rare occasions that I actually had money in my pocket, which for a, a young seminary student was very rare, but on those occasions, and I, I was, had planned to like buy a lunch, my favorite thing was walking up that, that street, and if I had time, if I, if, if I chose to have time, let's say that, and I saw someone that God just put on my heart, occasionally I would look them in the eye, and that's always important to make sure that they know that they're a person still. Look them in the eye and offer to share lunch with them and take them to a restaurant, usually like McDonald's or something like cheap like that, and order and sit together and share a meal together and allow our humanity 
and God's love for both of us to be seen through. Now, I want to tell you, that was far and few between. Most times, I just kept going. Most times, at the very most, I would look at them and I would say, sorry, I can't help you today, because I'm really hungry myself. But the times that I was really listening to God, the times that I knew for sure God's heart didn't matter if I was hungry for a few hours. It was much better to share that meal. So practically speaking now, those are a whole lot of Old Testament passages. What about the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, we see Jesus fasting. We see the early church fasting. And Jesus, in fact, in our scripture passage today, says, not if you fast, but when you fast. Suggesting, I would say, that Jesus expects us to continue to fast. That Jesus expects us to continue to need and depend on him and to remind ourselves of our utter dependence on him. Now, practically speaking, candidly with you, I don't fast very often. Just putting it out there. Some of you who do fast will probably fast much more than I do. I would probably fast. This wasn't something that I grew up even hearing about in the church that I grew up. Fasting was not a, a spiritual discipline that I grew up knowing about. It's something that I have learned is important and so do on, on rare occasion. But for me, it's certainly not a weekly or a monthly thing. For me, I fast maybe once or twice a year. If there's really important decisions to make, things like planning out message series or other major decisions that I just, I'm having a really hard time hearing God about, then I will fast. Or if I fall into temptation, if I start finding that I'm saying to myself, I can do the Christian life by myself. I don't need God. I can be a pastor in my own strength. You know, I'm a pretty good pastor on my own right. I don't need God. Oh, hold on a second. That's not right. And I realize that I have forgotten my utter dependence on God. And I think it's very easy for us to forget our utter dependence on God because our culture tells us, do it on your own. Do it on your own. If you're dependent on anything, you're weak. And God says, no. If you are dependent on me, that's where you'll find your strength. And so, if you are fasting, if you are someone who fasts, great. And I would encourage you to do what Jesus tells us to do, not to put on a show about it. You know, have a shower, shave, put on makeup, whatever you need to do to not be seen as someone who's fasting, but just to allow God to help you in those times. If that's, this is something that you don't do, I'd encourage you to, to think about it, to consider fasting, to, to fast, just skip lunch and, and say, okay, at lunchtime, when my stomach starts to growl, isn't that a great way to remember that I have become dependent on food instead of dependent on God? And isn't this a great reminder that when everyone else is getting their, their lunches out, for me to take that time that I would take to eat my lunch to pray and to refocus my heart on my dependence on God. About prayer now. We're going to kind of 
run through a few of these things to, so that we can get to the good stuff at the end. So prayer is our communication line with God. Whether you are someone who was raised in the church or whether this is your first time in a church, even in our culture, people know that prayer is important for Christians. So we're not going to really talk today about why we should pray. We're going to talk about how we should pray. And so I'm going to fly through a few thoughts and then we're going to get to some practical stuff at the end. So how do we pray? Number one, personally. We need to pray personally. We need to pray like we're talking to our Father. Remember last week we talked about our identity in Christ and how if you have accepted the love of God into your life and have offered your life to God, that you are now adopted into his family, that you are now a son of the King of Kings, that you are now a daughter of the King of Kings, that you are ultimately and enormously loved by God. And when we realize that we are loved by God so much, when we realize that we are loved by God and that our identity is secure in him, we don't have to wait in line to talk to him. We don't have to use fancy words to try to impress him like we even could impress him. Like, think about it for a second. I have a four-year-old son. Imagine that he comes to me when I'm working downstairs and he says to me, Dearest Father, who art in the basement, hallowed be thy work today. Would thou like to play Lego with me? Oh, he'll come downstairs and say, Hey, Dad, want to play Lego? In the same way, it's not about the words that we say. It's about the heart to be in relationship with our God. With that in mind, recognize that when you talk to God, you're talking to God. You're not talking to the other people pretending to talk to God. You're talking to God. He is our audience of one. Jesus tells us to pray succinctly. In other words, not to just go on and on and on because you like the sound of your voice, but to pray what's on your heart, And then to be quiet and allow God to speak. And with that succinctly, we need to also pray, recognizing that it's a conversation. Right? Because if you have a good friend, and you are coming together, and maybe he or she calls you on your phone, and they talk at you, but they never give you time to respond. They just talk at you and they say, you know, I'm in so much trouble and, and, and this is what's going on, this is what's going on, this is what's going on. All right, text you later, bye. And you're on the phone, you're going, hello, can I get a moment to talk to? One of the things that we forget, and, we, and we've talked about this lots here at Chalmers, is that praying is not leaving a message on an answering machine. Praying is not leaving a message on an answering machine. Praying is when we come and we bring our heart to God and we lay it down at His feet and we allow Him to speak to us as well. And I think, at least for me, one of the reasons why so many of us have a hard time hearing from God is because we don't have silence built into our lives. 
We don't take silence in our prayers. We keep the radio on all day long. We have things going on and we forget to allow some silence in our lives. And when we fail to have silence, how can we expect to hear from God? He wants to speak to us, but are we willing to listen? Now with all that, in one part of the the, the scripture reading that we, we read earlier on in Matthew 6, some of us might think, well, should we just not pray publicly at all? Like, is Jesus saying that we need to always go into our closet and pray in in private instead of praying on the street corners. I want to suggest that that's not the case. Private prayer is absolutely important, but public prayer also is important. And we see that in many ways, partly with the Lord's Prayer, when it says, Our Father, it's really hard to pray Our Father when it's just you. We need community to recognize that He is Our Father. The other thing is that Jesus prayed out loud. If he didn't, then we would never have had recorded all of the prayers that he prayed. And so we know that he prayed out loud, and he gives us that model to pray as well. However, when we pray out loud, and I do encourage people to pray publicly out loud, it's not to try to impress anyone. And so... We pray what we need to pray, and then we be quiet and we allow God to speak. The other thing is, if you are someone here who is just like so intimidated about the whole idea of praying out loud, I want to encourage you to think about and, and start figuring out ways to start praying out loud, even if you start praying out loud when you're by yourself. And the reason I want to suggest that is because praying out loud is helpful so that we can join you in those prayers. But the other thing I want to really stress is that nobody is really paying that much attention to what you pray. I'm a public speaker. I pray out loud each and every time. And I'm certain that most of you have no idea what I prayed when we were praying for Caitlin back there. You might remember the gist that we prayed for safety and we prayed, prayed that God would, would be with her in that time, but you can't remember the words that I used. You certainly can't remember the words that I used last week. And so recognize that it's not a big deal because nobody's paying attention enough. And be okay with that. Finally, I want to just move to how should we pray. Sorry, just before that. Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, whatever you want to call that whole Our Father part. And I want to say form prayers or those type of of written out prayers that somebody else wrote and that we can share together can be helpful when we inhabit the words, when we think about what is being written and we pray it from our heart. However, I can say the Lord's Prayer in like 10 seconds and not mean a word of it. If we don't think about what we're saying, it means absolutely nothing. And so form prayers are fine and helpful, and there are lots of books of prayers and all that kind of stuff. 
You might be from a tradition that used a lot of form prayers, and those form prayers are really good and helpful if you take the moment to think about the words and you actually mean them. Otherwise, they're simply empty religion. Now, for me, I just want to share kind of one of the ways that this has, has helped me. doesn't mean that this is what you need to do, but it's helped me. When Jesus says, this is how you should pray, he's giving us a model. He's giving us a model, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. But it wasn't those words exactly that we need to pray. One of the things that I've done in the past is use the Lord's Prayer to help me frame my praying. And so I'll start line by line and go through it in the more positive way. I'll pause and say, okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then I'll go from there and say things like, God, thank you that we can call you Father. And I I acknowledge you as Father right now. God, help me to recognize my dependence on you. Help me to recognize that you are holy. And then when I'm done saying what I need to say about that, I go to the next line. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then I pray about that. I ask God, help me to be part of your kingdom here on on earth. And I'm sorry for the times that I have not been helping your kingdom here on earth. Lord, help me with that. And I go through it line by line. You don't have to do that. Something that I've, I've done from time to time, not always, but from time to time. The other thing, this acts form, I find is helpful to help us, again, just focus our prayer on God. Because when we pray and when you look at the Lord's Prayer, it starts by praising God and acknowledging God and recognizing who God is. And then it moves to our needs and how we need God's help. So, just an easy way of of praying. Starting with adoration, or starting with just praising God, recognizing who God is in your life, and praising Him for that. Then moving into a time of confession. Recognizing that we haven't followed God as perfectly as we should this week, and we just want to ask for His forgiveness. Ask him to bring to your mind anything that he needs to and flush out anything that he needs to. Moving into a time of thanksgiving, just thanking him for what you have, what he's doing in your life. Do you know that if you focus your prayer on thanksgiving, your whole life's going to change? If you focus your prayer on thanksgiving, your day is going to be completely different. The attitude of your heart is going to be completely different because we are thankful for who God is and for what he's doing in our lives. And then that funny, fancy word, supplication, which just means asking for things for other people or for yourself, but asking doesn't work with the whole acronym ACTS. And so someone said, hey, it should be supplication. But it simply means, finally, after you adore God, confess your sins, thank him for what he's doing, then your heart is ready to say, God, I now need your help. Because this is what's going on in my life, or this is what's going on in my friend's life, or this is what's going on in the world, and we just want you to be part of there.
in all of what we've just talked about today, if you get nothing else out of it, because there's a whole lot of stuff that we just threw at you, if you get nothing else out of it, or if you've been sleeping for the last 20 minutes and you just woke up now, this is what I want you to take home with you. We are utterly, hopelessly dependent on God. And fasting and prayer remind us of that. Help us to focus our hearts, help us to focus our minds back on the fact that we are desperately in need of God in our lives. And so thankful that he is in our lives. And so the dependence that we have is fulfilled in Christ sending the Holy Spirit to be part of us, to walk with us, to embody us, and to be with us. And so I want us to leave with this thought. I am utterly and hopelessly dependent on God. Let's say that together. I am utterly and hopelessly dependent on God. One more time. I am utterly and hopelessly dependent on God. And isn't that the best place to be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are utterly and hopelessly dependent on you. For every single breath that we take, for everything that we take for granted, for the family and the friends around us, for the health that we have, for the care that we have. And so, Lord, we just acknowledge you as the one who loves us so much that you would die for us, that you would adopt us, that you would infill us, that you would partner with us, that you would provide for all our needs, that you would change our hearts to be like you. We are desperately and hopelessly dependent on you. And when we are desperately and hopelessly dependent on you, you can work mightily in our lives. Father, we want to pray for Deanna right now. Lord, we just pray that you would provide for all of her needs, for all of the things that she needs to figure out in this call to the Netherlands. Lord, we pray that you would heal her body right now. Father, we pray that you would remind her, as you remind all of us, that this utter and hopeless dependence on you is the best spot, is exactly where you want us to be. And so, Father, we send her out as well. And we ask that you would go with her as she does final preparations to leave later this fall, as she fundraises and gets prayer support. We thank you for what you are doing in the heart of that young girl. And we pray that that would just continue to grow in the hearts and minds of of many. And Lord, we just thank you for your love for us and for your grace that just covers over our sin.
We thank you. We thank you, God. Amen.